to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thanks so much for joining us on the program. As we come your way every week, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Saturdays, streaming live at richarddugan.com and newspress.com, rebroadcast at atazen.fm, and we archive the programs at richarddugan.com, the radio show's page. So a lot of opportunities for you there. And uh, we're also um, encouraging you to, if you should choose to do so, not only to check out our guests, we are linked to each one of our guests. Go to that uh, link on the page next to the play button, which is usually their name or the topic that we spoke about. It is a link taking you to their website. But if you'd like to become a part of the work that we're doing, uh, we uh, certainly and would graciously appreciate any support and help that you can give us. Go to the missions page, and at the bottom there is a link to PayPal and whatever you can, uh, uh, whatever you can. Please uh, do so. Uh, we are not a nonprofit. Uh, well, we can use all the help that we can get. The program today, I think, is going to be a, a lot of fun. I found it rather intriguing just by virtue of the title, uh, as well as the background of my guest. And uh, we're going to be getting into that in just a moment. But uh, just a, a little for those of you who are following, and I'll make it brief for those of you who are not and are not interested, a little um, Angus update. Angus is the uh, a new family member that we brought home back in February, actually on Valentine's Day, uh, February of this year. Uh, and he is getting bigger and he is uh, uh, doing really well. And we're so happy to have him in our family. And he and my dog are just uh, fast friends and having a great time enjoying their lives and enjoying our lives with them as well. Still working on him um, and getting along with the cats. He doesn't hurt them. He likes to put his mouth around them, but he doesn't bite them. And I, I'm, I don't know what it is that he's trying to do, if he thinks they're toys or what, but um, so far uh, no serious issues there, but we are working on getting him trained to understand that uh, you don't do that to other family members. <laughs> that is not what you do. Today's program, I think you're going to enjoy. I know I am. And the title of the book that we're going to be talking about today is What to Do When You're Dead. Now, that raises all kinds of interesting questions. Uh, this is from a, a former atheist who interviews the source of infinite being. Now, that's interesting because... I always thought that each one of us had access to the infinite being, God, the creator, universal power, whatever name you choose to give. So we're going to find out about her connection, uh, especially considering the fact that she is a former atheist. And actually, uh, we've actually had an atheist on this program in the past, and I was utterly fascinated by this gentleman. Just extraordinary conversation. What I found out was I, I, he didn't talk a lot about what he didn't believe in, but what he did talk about was a lot of spiritual stuff that he did believe in. And I found that quite extraordinary because all I'd ever heard of was, oh, atheists don't believe in God and they're all going to hell. And this is what I was taught in the 80s and early 90s. Sandra Sneed is my guest. She's the author of What to Do When You're Dead. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Thank you for having me. This is, uh, I think, going to be a lot of fun today. I think that uh, uh, when we start delving into the subject matter in that regard, and I guess, uh, again, as we like to do, on, uh, as every, every, every program that we, we do, we like to define terms. So what do you mean by dead? Because if you're really, truly dead, we have no clue as to what we're going to do, at least as far as I know. 
Well, it's kind of a play on words, the title, mm-hmm. because I am in the subtitle, saying that my interview in this book is with the source of infinite being. So in this sense, the play on words is what to do when you're dead. That means that there is something beyond what we call death, and it actually is saying that there is no such thing as death. So that's what this book is really about, is is the nature of spirit and soul uh, and its relationship to the body as well as its relationship to the earth and how these all kind of work together and the mechanisms within each that make all of existence something that we experience Mm -hmm. before and after death. And I would have to say there are some people who um, might take umbrage with the fact that the infinite being chose to speak to you, a former atheist, a quote-unquote non-believer, uh, and uh, and not to somebody else who 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 has been searching, has been toiling, meditating, and doing all of the things that that one is supposed to do in order to make contact with the other side, with the infinite being, with God. Again, whatever term you you would choose to use there. Uh, do you ever did you ever run across that? both uh, from others, but even within yourself, why is this being contacting me? I'm an atheist. Not quite in that way, but in the first chapter of the book, I actually ask God, you know, why me? And God kind of chuckles and says, you know, all messengers ask that. And I say, well, what do you tell them? God says, you chose this. This is what you chose before... You came to Earth before you were born. You wanted to know what you could do to help human beings to who didn't understand what love was. And the the story of why I was an atheist is a, is a different story. But in the first chapter, Bob, God very clearly says that this was my my choice. And I simply wake, woke up to my purpose and the reason that I was born at the age of 39. So I'm curious uh, because we, we want to try to understand where people come from and are coming from in the present. Uh, so help us to understand from your perspective, what, what, what was it that you knew as opposed to believed as an atheist, in the context of even in the context of even the infinite being. Well, I guess I could say I was more of an anti-religion uh, person. Mm-hmm. You know, I I grew up in my middle teens with a stepmother who took us to church every Sunday day and Sunday night. And then Wednesdays and fully indoctrinating us, my brother and I, into the evangelical Christian faith, which was a born-again Christianity. And the Bible stories were so difficult to comprehend as to the reality of them or the physicality of them, the possibility of them. And then I saw a great deal of hypocrisy and intolerance as a 
as a teenager. So that when I moved in with my dad, who uh, was by no means an atheist, but not um, someone who went to church. In fact, he would take me flying when I was a kid. He was a weekend pilot, and he would take me flying. And I remember him saying, I was 10 years old, we were up in the white puffy clouds in the blue sky, and he said, this is my religion. And it was at that moment that I realized I didn't have to do the whole pious attitude and behavior to have something, a deeper relationship with with the earth. And then in college, I discovered science, and science began to fill me with a sense of awe and wonder. And it was in that, that, that discipline that I was able to establish a deeper question in my mind and in my heart about all of existence. And I just threw out the baby with the bathwater when it came to a belief in God. I, I was able to see from time to time certain people that obviously lived a life that was warm and genuine and kind. And I thought that, that if there was a God, that it would certainly be shown through those people. Um, but all in all, I just disregarded the biblical stories and the idea that the Bible was a, a word from, from a creator. But you're also, you're also involved in science and technology. So you were using, uh, the, shall we say, the laws of physics uh, in, in what you did and what you have been doing or had been doing in, in, uh, in terms of proving or disproving things. There was no question. It wasn't an issue of belief. It was either we know this or we don't know this based upon the laws of the universe that we know at this time, right? Well, I actually became a science and technology writer after... Um God started talking to me, and we haven't discussed that yet, but what happened was in 2004, when I, my whole life had upended, I lost a job I loved and a man I loved, and my world just crumbled before me, and I found myself completely and totally alone, and I would go down into the basement to write, to quell these feelings of panic and aloneness, and I filled up an entire notebook full of this lament, and I opened up a new spiral notebook and put my pen on the top line, and before I noticed the pen moving, it had stopped. And when it stopped, I looked down to read what was written, and what was written was, unemployed, question mark, it is my assertion you are employed by me. And it was at that moment that I discovered something was trying to make contact with me, and then also, that was the moment that I sparked a year in solitude in taking dictation from the great being we call God. And I, during that time, was completely reprogrammed. That's what sparked my desire to write in the field of science. And my first entry into that was... It was writing for industry on topics of technology and science. Hmm. 
Well, we're going to get into, obviously, your conversations with, uh, as uh, you have used the term, uh, the infinite being, uh, God, and uh, talk about how that came about and your reactions and so forth. I'm just wondering, where are you today in that, in that, uh, in that whole context? Uh, uh, have, have you um, made, shall we, because uh, I know a lot of people, I get accused quite often, uh, Sandra, of, of um, uh, leaving the Catholic Church. I never left. Uh, I just stopped practicing. Um, I have a great love for the church myself. Uh, and like you, I, I questioned the biblical stories. A lot of them didn't make any sense to me. It's like they weren't logical. And I'm a right. fairly logical person. And I start putting these things together. And there would be those who would tell me, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Bible speaks where it's supposed to speak. And it doesn't speak where it's not supposed to speak. So if you're asking questions and it doesn't address it, it's because it's not relevant. And I thought, that doesn't make any Ow. sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, so, um, and then, of course, then you have the, the the divergent views of the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God. You know, I've even mm-hmm. heard some interesting jokes about, oh, yes, I believe in the Old Testament vengeful God. He's my God. Um, and some people do. Some people absolutely have that in, that's ingrained in them. Uh, so I'm wondering, where are you today? Are, are, have you taken on a particular, uh, a specific path, or is yours, as most of ours, Mine, I think, is very open. I say I'm, I'm more metaphysical and spiritual than uh, coming under one, one or two or three different banners, if you will. Well, I, I guess when people ask the question, they're asking, what religion are you now? And they're asking what faith you believe in, some organized religion that most, you most identify with. Mm-hmm. And I like to take the phrase from Karen Armstrong, who was a former nun, and she's a a scholar, and she calls herself now a freelance monotheist. And that's really what (laughs) I, you know, I like to say. But but really, for me, I'm a God lover. Yeah. And I, I talk to God all day long, and every day. And I've worked my practice up to that. It didn't always, I didn't always incorporate God throughout my everyday existence all day long. That takes a manner of focus to bring God into your daily activity. And we're all born to do that, to enter the mind of God and then to bring that mind to everything we do so that we can make this a a place where God can dwell among us. But it's, it takes a great deal of spiritual evolution on, on an individual's part and will, personal will, to make that happen. What was the reaction? I, I mean, you weren't, as you shared with us, you know, growing up, you, you were taken to church. So you weren't an atheist at birth or as, in a, as a child. Uh, what was the reaction of your parents and family when you became an atheist, and what has been the reaction since your uh, new transformation in the past few years? Well, I just because I went to church didn't mean that I wasn't an atheist. I didn't understand any of it well enough to have any sort of belief one mm. way or another. I just was told there was a God, and I was told 
that Jesus Christ died for my sins and was the only Son of God. And, you know, all of the biblical stories that, that seem to be so crazy. Um, I can't say that I ever believed them. I never repeated the stories to anyone, except for when I was asked to be a good little girl and to, you know, in vacation Bible school and to repeat the stories. But I never internalized any of those things to hang on to them in, in any way or have a relationship with them. So that when I went to college, it, it was really a very helpful and cathartic way uh, to see philosophy as a way of thinking that was moral, yet didn't depend on me to engage a higher power or believe in a higher power or something of authority over, over me. Because I did feel as if God was some fictitious character created to to rule over people and keep people under control. Um, when the event happened that I began to hear God talking to me, that year I pretty much kept in secret, that year of solitude. I was living up in New York City away from family, and since I had lost uh, my relationship and my job, most of my job was my social life, I was able to kind of stay alone without, you know, pretty much go under the radar, not a whole lot of people paying attention to what I was doing. But as I emerged out of that and began to talk about God and my relationship with God to my family, of course there was some, you know, what's what's she up to now kind of thing. Yeah. Now what? Because I was an artist and I was always always a bit of a black sheep anyway. Um, having left my family to move to New York City, you know, I was always always um, disrupting things, so uh, this wasn't really anything new. But what was very difficult for me is that my family had been destroyed by religion. When I was two years old, my mother ran off with the Moonies, um, a, what was at that time a cult, and uh, it it really did destroy, you know, my sense of, you know, being a motherless child and my father's sense of fairness of the world. And so he suffered his own depression from it and my brother, his his own anger. So we were dealing with the demise of a, of a relationship throughout our life, of a, of family throughout our lives in our own way. And I think total and utter disbelief in a higher authority was as much a reaction to a loss of a mother as anything else. Hmm. Turning to someone, if you will, for support, help, a shoulder to cry on, so to speak. I mean, and then we're talking, obviously, in a, in a euphemistic way. Right, or just that feeling of unconditional love. I yeah. I met my mother when I was 33 and spent some time getting to know her. And for the first time in my life, I felt what a mother's love feels like. And it's very different than a father's love. A father's love is is often conditional. You know, you obey, you do the things you're supposed to do, 
You know, you show responsibility and maturity, and your father will show you love. Now, I don't know if that's true in all fathers, but it, it was true in my case. My mother, on the other hand, would love me no matter what. That, ex- that expression of love was there. It was a double-edged sword, though. You know, even though she loved you so much, if you didn't perform in the way that she wanted you to perform, she would put you under a, um, a microscope of guilt that was pretty tormenting in its own right. But um, I got to feel the balance of that male-female aspect of love um, that was very, very educational for me. Mm. We're going to come back and talk about your conversations with God as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and we're talking with uh, Sandra Sneed. She is the author of What to Do When You're Dead, a former atheist interviews, The Source of Infinite Being, and uh, quite extraordinary story it is. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan. Stay with us. Tell me your stories. I do my best to understand. Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, we're talking with uh, Sandra Sneed, who is the author of What to Do When You're Dead. And we're going to get into uh, the conversations. Now, you've already alluded a little bit to uh, that that first conversation in that first year where you uh, sort of went into solitude. You kept to yourself. You didn't share this. You kept this in secret. I'm curious as to the events uh, prior to and immediately following this what some would consider quite a revelation in your life uh, th- that many people uh, long for this opportunity. Uh, was this uh, still part of what you talked about before we ended the last segment in terms of looking for that unconditional love and suddenly this voice or the writings began? Yeah. Uh, what they... What What happened during that time was God was reorienting my perspective. I suddenly was able, because of what God taught me, instead of looking at the world as things that happened to me, but how I, in turn, can create a perception that I happen onto the world and that I have far more control over the world around me than I ever believed. The control that we have of the external world is how we see ourselves. And as we see ourselves as worthy, perfect, and whole, then the rest of our experience is filtered through that. And we open ourselves up to gratitude, seeing only the great blessings that come to us rather than any woes or worries or problems. These are just momentary setbacks because of the perfection that we are. See, if we call each other imperfect, you know, well, nobody's perfect. And this is is just to say, well, nobody's going to behave the way I want them to. And we just have to be okay with that. Yeah. But if we look at our, each other and our, ourselves the way that God sees us, we will see ourselves as absolutely perfect. And we will start to see each other in a way that we are looking at the other, the person that is not us, 
we, are lo- we look at them through the eyes of perfection, and we notice their behavior is intrinsic to that closed system that is them, that is their own being. And if they don't behave in a way that we want them to behave, then that needs to be okay because it's not our job to control everybody around us. You know, it's fascinating you, you, you bring this up because, as I said at the start of the program about defining terms, uh, many years ago I, I put down my Bible and a Bible concordance side by side and I began to do some research on some words. One of them had to do with that passage in the Bible having to do with uh, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, what I found was that the word perfection or the word perfect had nothing to do with behavior, had nothing to do with right or wrong, good, bad, uh, good or evil, you know, and so forth. It had to do with completeness. Be perfect. Be complete. Be whole as your Father in heaven is whole. And I'm, I'm not, not to get preachy or anything, but again, going back to the whole concept of defining what the words really mean. It and changes that, everything. And it took the onus that. off of it. It, yeah. it took that rock, that, that burden off of my shoulder saying, oh, my God, it, it's not up to my behavior. No matter right. what I do, I'm still perfect. Right. Yes, you were made in the eyes of perfection. Yeah. So when you read the first words that you wrote, now, now you, were, you, were you hearing the voice first internally? You were, you were writing? Yes. It was more of, you know, some people call this stuff uh, channeling and automatic writing. Mm-hmm. It is not. Uh, you cannot channel God. You would blow up. <laughs> you, would, you know, there would be nothing left of you. Right. What it is, is, uh, you know, this is a, God is a wave of being, and this wave of being has its own frequency. It has its own vibrational signature. And just as the breeze, a, a gentle breeze, is a form of a great wind, so too is the gentle vibration moving through me and through my body from the great wave of being. So my body simply records through every cell of my body, records the vibrational signature of the communication that I'm being given. And I am able, my brain is able to interpret that minuscule vibration into words. Our brain has the ability to interpret from the eardrum, the the eardrum just, just beats out, boop, 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 the sound that's coming from our environment, and then the brain is interpreting that that drumming and to articulate each and every nuance of sound. So God's just using that mechanism of my brain to communicate with me. And initially it began through my arm and my hand. That was the that was the recording device that because I was already priming the pump when I was doing the writing before filling up all the the notebook. Um, And I've always had an impulse to write, a compulsed, a compulsion, compulsion. Compulsion. (laughs) a compulsion to write. Um, Then 
so that's already primed in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But then the significant change began one day. I had gone downstairs to start writing with God and talking to God, and it was raining outside and very electric in the air. And I said, and, and the first thing God said was, I do not end with this pen. And I didn't know what God meant. And so God said it again, I do not end with this pen. And I just kind of accepted it, okay, whatever you say. And then there was this lightning bolt outside that hit the top of the walnut tree. The top of the walnut tree falls to the ground. God says, I do not end with this pen. And I just like, whoa, it exploded. I ran upstairs in total fear because it's one thing to en- enjoy the connection to God in the privacy of your own notebook, and it's another to experience God on, in the external environment so loud and that it could rattle the house yeah. wow. and light up the sky. <laughs> you know, that, that just overwhelmed me. And then that's when I began to open my mind to hearing my own voice, which is the self, myself, um, but then God's words working within it, that voice. So then I began to hear God within within my mind and within my my imagination. And uh, did you not begin to ask uh, throughout this period of time just all kinds of questions that just would come up in your own mind, uh, trying to get find answers for yeah. yourself at first? Yes. And at first, I wasn't doing it in a dialogue where I would write down the question and then the answer would come. The my, the, my mind was asking questions, and God could hear those questions. And even if I wasn't clear about what the question was, God could understand what I was wondering. Mm-hmm. And then it would be an entire passage, could be as many as two or three pages, of a passage to understand the nature of will, the nature of the wish. Wish plus will plus do equals being. The nature of being and becoming. The the power of the knowing of singularity. The time-space continuum. I mean, just one day those notebooks will be published. This book that I have out now that I'm promoting is a brand new book that I started a couple of years ago, um, maybe about a maybe about a year ago, writing for the rest of the world. But these these notebooks that have been kind of in secret hiding, those will probably be published someday. They're presently uh, being sequestered by you. Yes. Yes. Which is the yes. proper definition, ladies and gentlemen, of that word that has been misused uh, in the news media for the last six months. I have never been able to figure out how in, I've heard of juries being sequestered. I've heard of materials being sequestered. But I've never heard that word used in the context that it's been used in over the last six months. It makes no sense to me. Be that as it may, we're, I, I guarantee you we are going to look forward to when those books, uh, the, uh, as they are released, are released because I think that it's going to shed some wonderful light on uh, what it is that we are as humans. And I think that that really is one of the things that we do with, uh, on this program, uh, Sandra, is 
we're trying to find those new ways of living, uh, those new ways of being. Uh, it's quite evident from many circles that the ways in which we're living and being today, they're not working real well. You just look around. So we believe that there are new ways of doing that. Can you share with us uh, what has been revealed to you in that context of the new ways and maybe their old ways that we're being told that we need to return to as opposed to new ways that we need to find? Well, that's that's question brings up a lot of topics that I've discussed with God in this book, What to Do When You're Dead. The reason the title is because God says human beings are on a path of self-destruction, that we have lost any sense of purpose and higher purpose outside of our consumer mm-hmm. ideas, our consumer state of mind. And in fact, these zombie shows that are so popular right now oh, yeah. are the social commentary for this consumer mentality that we have just to, to consume, 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 and that we need to start to learn how to become the producer mentality where we are creating producing not for the, the not for the purposes of being consumed in the context that you've just spoken about because that's the that's the paradox in which we live today this is a different kind of producing as you're talking about isn't it right it's about replenishing the resources that we are stripping away from the earth because as we strip them away we are destroying ourselves. Our resources are being wiped out uh, from the surface of the earth. And God says humans do that about every 10,000 years, as evidence in ancient ruins around the world. But what's different about this time, God says, and, and why God is, is giving very little hope for humankind if he doesn't absolutely change course, is that we're poisoning our own food supply. Mm -hmm. We are creating and generating cycles of fake food. Not only are we genetically modifying the organisms of the food, we are also creating synthetic fertilizer, and the synthetic fertilizer creates fake food, and the body requires so many nutrients that have evolved for millions of years in order to sustain human life that our cells can't do the work they're meant to do and it would take thousands of years of evolution to fix that and so god is saying look if you're going to wipe yourself out that's that's really not a huge deal but what's what's really big deal is that there are so many people who don't believe that there is anything beyond this that their souls can be trapped on earth and if they be and the, and who are going to die from the numerous cancers that will come about from the way that we are feeding the earth and feeding ourselves right so many cancers that it, it we they'll be untreatable and these souls that get trapped on the earth and they may not be able to either forgive the people who are responsible for having um, wiped them out or they can't forgive themselves for something they've done. 
that holds them and traps them on the physical plane. And if there's no human beings to help pray them or raise their their vibrational signature to a high enough state that spirit can then take them to the next realm, we call this heaven. But there's I, God's never called it heaven in my book. It's it's really about ascension and ascending to higher levels of spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. I, I've shared this on the program before that that um, in in all of the reading I have done of the ancient wisdom teachings from around the world, uh, there is nowhere in any of the writings uh, that speaks to man's existence, the human being's existence as a consumer producer that we were created for greater things and that, that this life is, is actually, it's, it's beneath us. It's demeaning. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, uh, and, and in addition to what you said about what we're doing to the planet, we're doing exactly the same thing to ourselves as individuals. And the scary thing about all of this is that in spite of all of our best efforts as individuals to try to protect ourselves in terms of, say, growing your own garden, if getting back to the issue of food and so forth, the problem is that the other species on the planet who assist in the process of helping us to grow our food, such as the bees, they're carrying yeah. the contaminated byproducts of those other plants to our plants that we grew from healthy, fertile seeds and soil and now they're just as it's it's like there's almost no escape that's the sad thing yeah that's that is definitely the scary part all of the systems that are being affected and so god has no intention uh, from from all that you have uh, gathered up to this point no intention whatsoever of intervening and has god ever intervened in the past well, my, uh, in my book, God says um, something to the effect of and uh, that what can God do? What can God do? Mm-hmm. Because we were born free will beings. In fact, they, uh, God gave me in 2004 an hour, long di- hour or more long dictation on uh, called Relief to See Her Arrive, The Lost Symbol of the Adam and the Eve. And it is the original story of Adam and Eve that was given tens of thousands of years ago and passed down through oral tradition. When it was finally written down, two-thirds of the population were slaves. So they changed the story to becoming a story about sin rather than free will. God's story is that God set it up so that we would become our own autonomous creatures so that we could co-create with God. The way the story is told now is that we have to be automatons for God, but that's what God did not want, is us to to work only for the will of God, but to, to learn how to create our own will as we create a balance with that, all that was created before us on the surface of the earth. So we're this artificial intelligence that was meant to take an accounting for, for the creatures on the surface of the earth and then work with God to co-create because evolution works so slowly 
that something else needed to be of an intelligent nature so that it could work faster than evolution on Earth. Um, the reason that Eve, for instance, was created by Adam's rib, and if you think about it, this is the first recorded use of stem cells, adult stem cells, but the reason she was created from Adam's rib was so she would protect the heart of God and the breath of life. So it was her job from the very beginning to to protect the the kindness of God, the kinship of God, so that we would, as, as the human race, understand our nature as male-female, but God being the one that made two to make a new one. We are all... We are all male-female. Reminds me of the phrase used in a very cute little movie called The Butcher's Wife, where they refer to themselves as a couple. They refer to them as they've met as the split apart. Ooh. And I found that so interesting that um, somewhere along the way we got separated from our other half. And not necessarily speaking of soulmates in that kind of in that context, but more the other half of who we we are, and or were, and and want to be. We want to be whole, and that doesn't doesn't imply that we're imperfect. They still go back to the same definition. We're still perfect, even as we are right now, but right. that we're seeking that other that other half of ourselves that right. completes us. Whether it is another human being, our purpose in life, and that's what we're looking for. And um, just before we uh, uh, pause here, I want to let our listeners know that we're talking with um, Sandra Sneed. She's the author of What to Do When You're Dead. It is a former atheist interview uh, with the um, former atheist interviews, The Source of Infinite Being. And uh, it, I, I always find these, these types of, of writings so fascinating because it isn't a question from my standpoint of whether I believe or disbelieve that you actually spoke with God. I don't care. I like what's being said. I like what's being shared. It resonates. That's the true test is, does it resonate with me or not? Yep. Yep. And I'm sure that uh, you have to have come across people who have challenged your, uh, your contention that you've been communicating with God. This doesn't happen. This is blasphemy against all that is sacred and holy, the Holy Writ, the Bible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yes, some members of my own family, even. No, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst place to get that from. Uh, this is true. This is true. Uh, I know that that in in pursuing the kinds of work that we both pursue, uh, that it is never easy uh, to to uh, follow your heart and what it what it's. And especially when it comes to, I mean, you, you make the reference that you are also an artist. Yes. And I know that we have both heard this, and I'm, I'm not, I have never claimed to be an artist. But the work that I have chosen, the path that I've chosen, there ain't a whole lot of money in it, unless you're really, really good, mm-hmm. you know, and you get picked up and you get syndicated and on and on and on. So uh, I'm sure that 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 has has been raised on more than one occasion that uh, you're going down a path that uh, 
it's not profitable. But I'm guessing you've dealt with that, and basically, what did you say? What do you say to that? Well, I have found a way to make a good living, but it's not in being the author. It's being a writer for industry. And one thing God taught me in that year of solitude about work is that you, to make your work interesting and fulfilling, always know you're there to help someone else succeed. And if you put all of your energy and effort into helping someone else succeed, there is an an immense amount of sense of purpose that comes from that because everything you do to improve, to help others succeed, you are improving your skill in doing what you do. And so that made it very easy for me to do something else for a living that help to pay for my work as an author and um, transcriber for God, because this is one day will will take over as my career. I know that. But if I quit my day job and just focused on that, I would have so much fear and panic in not being able to cover my bills that I wouldn't be able to enjoy it the way that I do now. Mm. So now I just kind of work at the equivalent of two jobs. And, you know, something God said to me also is that the soul doesn't understand money. It doesn't, it doesn't get money. It doesn't get clothes. It doesn't get shelter. It doesn't understand those things. All it knows is what its purpose is and what it's supposed to do, and that's, that is a pull away from the realities of the physical realm we're in. And so that's why you need to balance both of those spiritual and physical and get those engines running in phase with each other to really succeed and and find joy in that success. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with <laughs> with the infinite mind more. And yeah. it's not a question of me agreeing uh, with him agreeing uh, with the infinite mind agreeing with me is vice versa. And that's a hard one for each one of us to learn. Uh, I know that I still struggle with it from time to time. Uh, but when I get to a place where <clears throat> where I, I'm starting to feel a little insecure, I just, the, the only thing that I can do and say to myself that actually has helped is trust the universe. The universe has always provided. Trust the universe. Trust the universe. Okay, it's trust God. Yeah. It's trust the infinite mind. It's all the same thing. Trust when, uh, and again, I've shared this story many times on this program as well, when my wife and I had both lost our jobs back in Phoenix, Arizona, back in 2006, mm-hmm. didn't know what we were going to do. And I told my wife uh, after hearing from her saying, you know, I, I'm scared. I, I feel like we're on a precipice. And, of course, that brought back to mind everything that I had read and heard and listened to in all of the programs and the books and the interviews that I'd done. All of these people say exactly the same thing. When you come to the edge of a cliff or precipice, you do two things. You jump and you trust. And in that time period, there was no fear. It was as if we, you know, I knew that I knew this is what we're going to do. 
didn't lord it over her. I said, this is just how I'm feeling. I'm feeling really good about this. Yes, you're right. We have no jobs. That's true. And what's really interesting, too, uh, Sonia, is that the experience that we had of moving here to Santa Barbara, I, I learned later, you know, you didn't have to wait for your jobs to be taken away for you to move. You could have done it any time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt when uh, I finally left New York and came down to Houston. I felt like I came six months later than I was supposed to, that I could have, I could have left six months sooner. Right. But again, you, you, there You're is holding that... holding on. Uh, right. There's the divine timing. Yeah. There is that. And there's human, and there's human waiting as well. When you totally let go and let God, that takes, I think, enough years of experience of that being a successful leap to do it without waiting and wishing something else will will happen than, rather than having to take that leap because it's a frightening leap. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating is that over the last few days since this interview, um, I have been revisiting some photographs and uh, some Google Earth maps and, and, and uh, uh, road, uh, uh, road maps uh, of one of the places in this world that both my wife and I love and would love to move to and live there the rest of our lives. And so I'm trying what then unfortunately my mind starts to kick in when I say we need to make this happen. We need to find a way to make this happen. And the mind starts kicking in going, yeah, but you have. And by the way, that phrase, yeah, but I said that once to a woman about 25 years ago in conversation. She's a very spiritual woman, very, very connected. And she says, do you know what a yabbit is? I said, no. She says it's an animal with long ears and a fuzzy tail. And, <laughs> and I thought I thought about that for a second. And it didn't help my demeanor too much because now, mm-hmm. in addition to struggling through whatever it was I was struggling through, now I had to deal with this business of, and she doesn't want to hear the story of why not. Mm-hmm. And that's where the mind goes, to the why not. And there's a mechanism of survival that's very purposeful in that. Sure. The the only tr- what what we need to master, however, is understanding. Okay, so what is this worry telling me? What do I need to do? And then do those things, mm-hmm. and then move on. But unfortunately, we use the yeah, but to to kind of keep us in this infinite infinite loop rather than moving past it the yeah but um, you know to fix to fix the warnings that our mind is giving us you talked about a lot of the, these new television programs that are coming out i'm not a fan i don't watch them matter of fact i leave the room <laughs> i i don't want to watch them they they don't feed my soul right they grate against my chalkboard if you will right <laughs> Uh, and there are others as well. I just, I, I just have no use for them in my life. And I've said to our listeners many times, as a matter of fact, um, I usually wait until the end of the broadcast to give the disclaimer that says that it's very important for you to be careful about what you take in, 
to, through, through your senses. Uh, regardless of what you eat, drink, or watch, or listen to, or associate with. And that if you've listened to this program, it's too late. You've already heard it. <laughs> and now you have to deal with it. Um, and, but that's true. And so it's like once you've watched some of these programs, now they're in your, they're in your psyche. They're in, that, they're, they're in your, your, your library. And they're going to come up every once in a while. And I, I, I ask myself the question, why, why are we watching this stuff? And it's, I think you, you gave a very good example as to why. And look, it's, go ahead. Yeah, it, it's it's like how our dreams work. You know, it. Our, it's a social. It's a social dream. Our our media is a social dream, telling us where our state of mind is, and we of course have control over that. By I I don't listen to the radio anymore. Um, a news radio anyway. I mm-hmm. I turn off the news. I don't watch the news. I don't read the paper. Every now and then I. Um, I will read some headlines and wish I hadn't. Yeah. Because these are programming you to think that there are that the world is conspiring against you to succeed, and th- that creates your yabbit. Yeah. Well, the other aspect of it, I put a different, a little different spin on why I don't. In spite of the fact that I've I've worked for news radio stations <laughs> most <laughs> of my career and tried to, to disconnect, if you will. Uh, in those times when the stories start to come up, I just, I try to go off, I'm going to go off and I'm going to produce a commercial or uh, find something else to do. Um, my, my perspective is why do I need to read it from the paper or listen to it on the radio or watch it on the news on television? These events have been repeated over and over again since man has occupied this planet. Mm-hmm. The only difference is the names, the locations, and the dates. But the acts are all the same, and they're all based on the same emotions, the same issues that have been plaguing man since he's been here. So why do I need to know that somebody died, that somebody killed, that somebody did this? I also know, too, that... Natural phenomena, natural occurrences happen. Earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, tidal waves, etc. on infinitum. It's all been going on over and over. Why do I need to keep filling my brain with that? I know that's going on around me. I can feel it. Mm-hmm. And people feed on it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, my, my husband is one of those people who actually has a hard time sitting down and reading my book for long periods of time because he feels a need to distract himself with news and information. So these two things can't come hand in hand. You know, he's working. Everybody is at their own level of spiritual growth. Everyone is is dealing with their own evolution. And we, we very much need to give people room, inspire where we can, but give them the room that they need. Mm -hmm. The, you know the if you're going if you're serious about finding out what your path and purpose is then my book will absolutely give you some of the greatest clues to getting there but if you're still if you still think this kind of information is what media calls woo woo 
then this probably is just not the right book for you. Yeah. Well, and of course, I always strongly encourage our listeners to check out uh, our guests' websites and the information that they have available and see what resonates. We put out a smorgasbord every Saturday. Uh, and when the interviews are there on archives, it's just a smorgasbord. Take what you want and leave the rest. You know, we're not trying to cram anything down anybody's throat, and we're not asking you to accept it all. Maybe just a little piece here and a little 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 uh, uh, clump of grapes and some some bread and 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 maybe a little piece of cheese. And if that's all you want, it, it's okay. Or if you want to load the plate up with spaghetti and meatballs and and a, a, a prime rib, I'm fine. Whatever works for you. Be a glutton for God. That's good. <laughs> I like that. That's very good. Be a glutton for God. Yeah. Where where are you? Let me back that up. Uh, have you gotten into a phase when you were asking questions, wanting predictions, wanting to know the future? Did that ever cross your mind? I mean, my God, you're talking to the infinite being who knows all. Thank you for that question. That's a great thing to talk about. How God works with regard to my we all have this need to know what's going to happen and i have i have put god in that position many times and every time god says will give me an idea of the of the direction i'm heading naturally heading but god god works in the now the state of now and if you put into your mind what you think what if what god says is going to happen and you put that in your mind, you could totally misunderstand the the language and the way that the language is being used to such a way, to such a degree that it takes you completely off course. So God rarely ever gives me any future information unless it is to inspire me to keep going on the path that I am currently on. Hmm. I have shared with people about the still small voice, our higher self, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's the same connection. And I'm wondering, uh, I'd like for you to sort of address this, because I've often told people that it's one thing to listen to the voice and acknowledge that it's there and hear what's being said. It's another thing to follow the guidance And I've often told people, and maybe I've told them wrongly, that's why I want you to share, that voice will never, ever, ever, ever put you in harm's way. It may challenge you, but it will not hurt you. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, You know, there is a difference between the higher self and God. The higher self is absolutely connected to God, but one, the only time I've ever really talked, spoken to, and heard the words from my higher self was in a yoga session one time when I was deep in meditation, deeply, physically exhausted and deep in meditation, and it was a completely different location in my brain where I could feel it and sense it, and it was a lighter sound than than the sound of God talking. And it was 
it is it essentially said to me i am your higher self and you don't need to have a relationship with me or talk to me just know that i am here and always here the the communication i have is directly with spirit with with god so that's my guidance and that is certainly never steering me wrong now if you open yourself to listen there are other voices that can come through and that really depends on what level of spiritual awakening you're in if you have a closed heart and you're listening to voices you're not going to get the best voices that you should be listening to who could steer you wrong if your heart is open and you're in a state of surrender then you will hear the higher self the higher being and that is connected to god and that will not steer you wrong but be very aware of the information that's given to you and be very aware that your heart is open and that you're in a state of surrender when you're hearing it. Now, I hear the the humility coming through as we've talked in this program over the last hour. And I'm curious as to whether you feel that you have something that's really special and exclusive to you alone or have you been able to share with others a way for them to have that same connection? I have not been able to figure out how to teach this because I've been told by God that this really isn't something everyone is able to achieve in the way that I have achieved it because I took a year off in solitude with God. And a lot of people have a hard time just turning off the radio when they're driving to work. (laughs) So the stillness and the silence that it takes to achieve that clear communication and constant dialogue, that's just something not a lot of people are willing to do. That's, that's one issue. Second issue, not everyone has the ability to express God as a God scribe, which is what I call myself, but they may have an ability to express God in other ways. Music, dance, anything that gives that cooking, you know, maybe some, I, I talked to a, a painter one day who spends hours in his studio painting and he feels the presence of God in the, in his studio and that mm. he has this kind of communication that is not words but feeling. So yes, everyone has that capability, but first you have to be willing to enter the space of silence and stillness. That's got to be hard to do for people living in the in the urban setting, I got to tell you, I'm from Phoenix and I was lucky that I they had things spaced out enough where the neighborhoods were fairly quiet. <laughs> and now I live in a rural area uh, north of Santa Barbara that I get to retreat to every day uh, following work. And uh, it's it's quite nice with all of our animals and, and just uh, the nature all around. Uh, we can hear the highway in the distance, but um, uh, when it gets late at night, the traffic is diminished and, and you just get to hear the sounds of the sounds of the earth. It's really quite extraordinary. That's definitely a way of 
quieting and calming your senses. But when I talk about stillness and silence, that's a deeper meditation that you could do in the course of chaos if you master it as a monk or a martial artist has done. Mm -hmm. That takes you a bit further into a quest of your own internal self, entering deep into the internal self. Before we dive into the final three questions of the program, I want to let our listeners know that if you're listening to the radio broadcast, there's more to this interview. There's an afterview. If you're listening to the A to Zen broadcast, there is an afterview. And all you have to do is go to richarddugan.com, the radio show page, and click on the link to the play, the play button to the link to this program uh, with, uh, with uh, Sandra Sneed and uh, the book entitled What to Do When You Die, A Former Atheist Interviews the Source of Infinite Being, and you will hear it in its entirety. And to that end, as we wrap up this program, the final three questions that I give to all of uh, uh, the new guests on the program, in this case, who is Sandra Sneed? Sandra Sneed is a happily married wife and stepmother who adores her only son, and I am a science and technology industry writer, or science and technology writer for industry, Um, living in Houston, Texas, and working really hard to fulfill my purpose on this earth before I take the leap into the great abyss and move on to the next stage when I'm dead. I did want to ask you, uh, it's actually a fourth question uh, in this series of three, uh, in regards to your writings, do you consider your writings holy writ, if you will, sacred in any way? In my dialogues with God? Yes. Holy writ. Wow. Everything that comes from God is holy, and I think the reader will read the truth in it and the wholeness in it and pull from that their own assessment. It's like history defines what we are before our time can I consider it sacred, holy, writ, yes. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I hope to bring God to the common man. I hope to show that God is not some uber man in the clouds, some man-made form, but is this formless being, this essence that it that moves through all things, organic and made by the earth. It's also made by the great being that moves through every cell in the universe. And if people can understand that, then maybe they'll wake up to know that every cell of their body also contains God. And when you discover God, God discovers you. Mm. And how powerful are we as human beings? 
we are infinitely powerful so long as we dissolve the idea that this container we call a body is what we are. When we can dissolve in our imagination the significance of the body over the mind, the mind can finally take some control over the body. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, uh, Sandra, and uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. I do want to let our listeners know, though, that you actually have, uh, at a minimum, two other works that are available on your website. It's actually on the downloads page, um, and it is uh, Relief to See Her Arrive. It's the lost symbol of the Adam and the Eve. And then you also have another uh, book that is actually available free. It's a free download, Five Principles to Quiet the Mind and Listen to Your Higher Self. So there is a way to begin to create that connection, at least the connection between oneself and the infinite being. Yes. Well, thank you, Richard, so much for the opportunity to talk to you and to your listeners and I really do hope that everyone will take advantage of that free download and at least get started. I know I have. (laughs) (laughs) I've downloaded it. SandraSneed.com is the website. That's S-O-N-D-R-A-S-N-E-E-D.com. And again, once again, the book is, (coughs) pardon me, What to Do When You're Dead, A Former Atheist Interviews the Source of Infinite Being. Again, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Until next Saturday, love to love.